0: Welcome to the Final Draft podcast. I'm Andrew Popel. Today, I'm going to be joined on the podcast by Kate Temple. Now, the Final Draft podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. Every week, I broadcast a show called Final Draft. It's from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Shout out to any international listeners who are joining us. So, we're coming to you from Sydney, Australia. At Final Draft, we are dedicated to exploring Australian writing, whether that's debut authors or the classics, the authors of the books that you've known and loved for years. And in each of these conversations, we're looking at the issues that drive the author's storytelling, the things happening in our world, the things happening in their lives, to help you discover more, get deeper into the heart of the books that you love. Because these are the stories that make us who we are. Now, 2SER, the radio station, broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people. I am recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands. I want to pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, acknowledging that this is unceded land and that treaty has never been made with the First Nations of this country. As I mentioned today, I am being joined by Kate Temple. Kate uh, is a prolific Author and uh, writer of books, along with her partner Joel, she is responsible for, um, you know, incredible books like the Bin Chicken books. If you are a-, a lover of Bin Chickens, she and I have spoken many times. But today, she is here joining us with her first novel. First novel uh, for young audiences. It is called The Dangerous Business of Being Trilby Moffat. This is a wild story of ideas. It has an incredibly endearing protagonist, and I cannot wait to share it with you. So, join me as we discover Kate Temple's The Dangerous Business of Being Trilby Moffat. Hello, Kate.
1: Hey, nice to see you again, Andrew. Lovely. Sorry about to the see muck you. up this morning.
0: Not at all, not at all.
1: The last time I um, we spoke, I was in the stu- we came into the studio. The two SCR studio, Oh my god! Um, for this one,
0: I remember that place. No, yeah. wasn't that? Wasn't it? Um, uh, Battle of with Book Oliver, Week or
1: something? Was didn't wasn't it with Oliver Pomeran?
0: With we, last Oliver. time with me or with someone else? Sorry.
1: No, with you. I thought we talked last time. What was the last book we talked about? I thought it was Funny Bones. At
0: the Battle of Book Week.
1: Oh, it was Battle of Book Week. Okay.
0: Yep. Was that in the studio? God.
1: It was in the studio. We right. just, Joel and I just re-signed up as uh, supporters of 2SER.
0: Oh, you're amazing.
1: Yeah, Thank we, you. um, they were actually talking about, um, bin chickens on the thing when Joel was signing up and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, gave him a shout out for all the bin chicken books.
0: Oh, amazing. All right. <laughs> Should we jump in?
1: Yes. I'll just shut this door for sound. Amazing. Let's do it.
0: Okay. My name is Andrew Popel, and I'm welcoming to the show Kate Temple. Kate is the author of more than 20 books, along with Joel. You will have likely seen her name on such covers as Bin Chicken and yours truly, Alice Tooley. Today, she is joining us, not with an ably firm toft at peak melt, but with a terribly dangerous cake-filled novel called The Dangerous Business of Being Trilby Moffat. Welcome, Kate. It's great to have you back.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. um, I'm glad to be here.
0: I'm really excited to be talking about this book. There are so many wonderful things. Um, I want to, like, let's meet Trilby. In fact, we meet Trilby in the book in a bit of a pickle. She is fleeing home with her mother, who is suffering from the dreaded sleeping sickness that is plaguing humanity with strange languages, odd hobbies, and long snoozes. This is no bratty film of Kept Me Late as Trilby and her mum escape to Lost in Time Antiquities on Nowhere Else Pier. Trilby seems like a fairly ordinary sort of girl, though. How did she first arrive for you as the story coalesced?
1: Yeah, look, I think the thing with Trilby is she kind of came to me as the book developed. You know, I had all these big ideas that um, I was more certain about. And the interesting thing, you know, often you start with this really strong character, but for me she she took form as I continued writing. Uh, and what I really love is I love books where a normal person ends up in a very outrageous and difficult situation. So and that's sort of my favorite kind of fantasy books as well. And I remember um, you know, things like, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you know, even the very first um Book the magic in the line the witch in the wardrobe series. The magician's nephews a bit like that. I love books where a person that isn't expecting the world to get really weird has to come in contact with that. Um, Lemony Snicket does that as well with the Baudelaire orphans. Uh, so she kind of um, she's a she's an ordinary girl, but she develops some very. Uh, we start to see that she 's got some amazing characteristics that perhaps she didn't have to use in her real normal life
0: yeah isn't that such a a wonderful thing about the fantastical that you know we we have that sort of point of entry through, and as you were talking there, I suddenly realized and it always seems, we always seem to end up getting that um, person played by Martin Friedman. I was thinking about um, The Hobbit.
1: (laughs) It's so true. It's Martin Friedman, isn't it? I mean, that's the Martin Friedman factor. It's it's the, you know, he does that so well. It's this ordinary person who, you know, has a a charm and a likability and a, a talent and a strength, but they need to be brought out through this this uh, this kind of um, oppositional situation that they end up in. Yeah. I guess there's a
0: bit of a there's a bit of a sort of an audience replacement, audience relatability element there as well. Like, did you did you find yourself relating to Trilby, or is Trilby truly sort of an an every child?
1: No, no, she's well. There are elements of her that are very much in every child, uh, but that's because they're kind of human characteristics. But yes, I I think in the end, Trilby did begin to take really unique form because there were things of of my own childhood that I um, that I imbued into into Trilby, and I think one of those things was this sense of anxiety that i know i felt as a kid but i think is very very common you know that sort of feeling of being in this new environment being in an adult world or being in a in an uncomfortable place and having to stand in the face of that fear and do the thing anyway but sort of having a lot of feelings that maybe aren't obvious. And so I, I like that about her. She's, you know, the, the the ducks' feet are moving very quickly, but she's she's um having to keep her calm because she doesn't have any other option.
0: Mm. Now the dangerous business of being Trilby Moffat is a bit balmy off tilt. And uh around now, both you Kate and the listeners might be wondering if I am a little bit too. These these strange flights of linguistic fancy that are dropping into my my questions. Um, are, do, I've, I've created them for you. They are, in fact, anagrams of both your name, Kate Temple, and your hero, Trilby Moffat. And um, I did this because this is a book that loves words and loves a word game. Um, and and I, I used an anagram generator. They, they're, they're online. I didn't come up with them all <laughs> myself. Um, tell me, though, why were why was playing with words? Why were word games so important and such a heavy feature in this book for you?
1: Yeah, I... The thing is, you know, I've really tried to be very playful with this book. This is a book that is funny. It's a book that, uh, you know, has a lot of big ideas in it, but I wanted it to feel like a sort of wonderful escapism. And uh, I've really put a lot of thought into playing with words in the book because Trilby is a really clever little girl, but you know, the world that she's in, you know, she has a playful mind. And I love the <coughs> idea of kids seeing um, a silliness to words and a fun with words, uh, a little bit of, of power that you can have when you play with words. Um, and there are some very, uh, you know, from the crossword clues that are the the beginning of each chapter and the word is buried, the answer is buried in each chapter, to, you know, the ridiculous anagram, say, for example, of the organisation uh, that is trying to kill Trilby, the OMB, DAD, CCC, uh, And I think that that's just something fun about, about making um, words Something that is 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 a ball in this in this this mad world that she's entered,
0: and it really does like having having a mystery to solve. I mean, this is this is why um, the Golden Age writers like Agatha Christie still enrapture us to this day. You know, as as adults, we we seek mysteries to solve in that sort of safe way, and for kids, it's exactly the same. I remember reading like Graham Base's books when I was young, and there's everything throughout the pages um the 11th hour there were so many like little puzzles and um nods and things to discover and i i found the exact same the exact same sort of joy in reading trilby even even as an adult to to be looking out for these things and as i cottoned on to all the little things that you were doing i was like i'm gonna figure this out i think i figured this out waiting for the payoff waiting for you to confirm whether i'd done it it was really lovely
1: Oh, excellent. Did you crack the, did you crack the clue? How did you go with that?
0: Did I, oh yeah, I, I, I cracked the clue. <laughs> I cracked the clue pretty quickly. The only, excellent. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. um, it was super fun though. It was like really, it was really fun. And I kind of thought this is, kids are gonna love this. And there are going to be some kids who are going to be like, you know, sharing it with siblings and, and sitting there watching their sibling read and wondering if they've cracked it yet. What yeah. page you What paid you up to? I already figured it out by now. That sort of stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And making a little bit hard too. I had, I had to um, put a few little twists in there so that mm. it was. Um, it didn't quite add up until mm. you got to the end.
0: This is all probably sounding pretty weird. Um, To the listener who because we've only we've only really just introduced the story. Trilby is escaping, she's fleeing with her mother, and she arrives at Lost in Time Antiquities to meet her glorious aunt Thumbelina. Now Let's just deal with this space, Lost in Time Antiquities. It's sort of this dream of bric-a-brac come to life. Like what yeah. was the inspiration for this incredible uh, house location store whatever. Well, we yeah. know I know what it is, but I'm not we're not gonna, I'm not telling people exactly what it is. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean Lost in Time Antiques is an antique shop that is located on the edge of time and the shop is only open for 1 minute on a Thursday and 2 minutes on a Friday. So it's very strict time schedule that you can get in there. Uh, but Trilby has to go there because she's in a she's really in a pickle. Her uh, this terrible pandemic has has hit the world, and it's not a boring pandemic like COVID. It's not sort of involving snot and dry throats and things. This is a really weird pandemic, and I actually had that thought about a weird illness because when I was a kid my I grew up in a house with my my dad was a GP my mum was a nurse my brother was a doctor this really medical house and I always had weird questions about medical stuff and one thing that I was throwing around from a very young age was why is it that illness is always bad why is it that it always every single illness is bad you know why Is it never? Why do you never contract superhuman strength? Why do you never get x ray vision? You know, and you notice no one ever says, Oh, I caught the most amazing cold. You really should try it. You know, there's no limited edition viruses that, you know, people are are coveting. So I thought, why not create an illness where the symptoms are bizarre? Mm -hmm. You know, and this disease that I've invented, dream sickness, the first illness, the first symptom is the sudden onset of a dead language. You know, you wake up and you can speak ancient Mesopotamian or something, you know, and you've got ancient knowledge that you shouldn't have. But, of course, the downside is that the more you have it, the longer you sleep and the longer you sleep, the longer you dream until you eventually never wake up. And this is the illness that Trilby's mother has. And uh, Trilby is the only child of a single parent. So she really needs to go and find her only other living relative, who is the 300-year-old woman who lives in this antique shop uh, on the edge of time. So that's what drives Trilby to this bizarre antique shop. And and once I was there, I just imagined all those amazing country vintage stores that I've ever been in, you know, with these incredible finds that you just, everywhere you look, you can't, everything is a treasure. And, and it always- made me so wonder, what what is treasure? That's one of the big questions in this book. Mm. What do we value?
0: And there's always stuff like you just wonder, do you really, like, do they really intend to sell it? Because it... It looks like it was placed there about fifty years ago, and the way everything is positioned around it is like it's not worth anybody's time to mm-hmm. to actually get that out. But um, those those that that was what you had me thinking of too. Those stores, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna be that bit curmudgeonly, and so on. I don't feel like you see them as much anymore. Back in my day, but yeah, like the you know the the truly wonderful, almost untouched antique stores.
1: Yeah, and they don't. Those amazing sort of bric-a-brac, vintage antique stores—they don't feel like they are selling anything. You know, it—it it feels like you're wandering through a treasure box, and you—you you, you don't know where to rest your eyes because everything has a story. Every object is is um, something special and unusual, and and those places are—you uh, know—they really spark the imagination. So that is the the world that Trilby begins in,
0: and. It all starts to accelerate, though, when Thumbelina swiftly pops her clogs. Um, and, of course, pops her clogs is a natty euphemism for drops off the perch. Um, Trilby realises there's a whole lot that she doesn't fully understand. And there's a whole lot that the reader won't be understanding about now. This is a fantastical book about things that are absolutely real for a certain value of real. It's also about cake. Um there's also a whole lot to discover. What what should readers know about this strangeness that Trilby is about to face, you know, without giving it all away?
1: Well, once she gets to the, uh, the antique shop on the edge of time, a terrible accident occurs, and she accidentally is promoted to the most important job in time, which is the timekeeper. And uh, she can't become not the timekeeper once she's become the timekeeper it's very much that's who she is that is her that is her calling whether she likes it or not and um pretty swiftly once she's been promoted to this very important position she finds that there are some people who are not happy about it very powerful organization that have every intention of firing her quite literally mm-hmm. So she has to um, she has to survive that she has to navigate that but she also really needs to try and solve this dream sickness because it's being caused by a kind of a rip in time or a a kind of uh, bump in time and she has to go out onto this, uh, to this Island that's out on the, on the lake, which is actually exists outside of time. So there's no time on this Island that she goes to. And when there's no time, some very strange things happen. For mm. example, the national food on the Island is cake, because if there is no time, of course, your teeth don't rot because it takes time to rot teeth. So that's all they eat on the Island. They have, Wonderful cakes, many different cakes, and um, that's all they love to eat. The other thing that happens is if you have a bubble bath on this island, the bubbles don't pop because that takes time and the water never gets cold. Mm. So it's a pretty fabulous island. Uh, there's also a native um, species of cat that live on the island mm. that are incredibly rude and ill-mannered and also run the public transport system.
0: Mm. I mean, I don't want to nitpick, cape okay, but- if cake is, is you know, the, the island's mm-hmm. dish, and you know, I understand a great yeah. love of cake here, how do they bake the cake? Like Because my whole thing with with baking is you've got to get the timing right.
1: It's all about the time, isn't it? It is all about uh, the
0: time. Are they so importing it? So that's a
1: very interesting question, and I'm so glad you asked, Andrew. Um, so this is the thing. Because there's no time on the island, uh, but their favourite food is is cake. You mm. do need time to bake a cake, and so it's a little bit like when um, you have a barbecue. You have those gas canisters, you know those things. You go and get them filled up at the swap and go. You know the gas canisters. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they have they import condensed time oh, for okay. certain machines. Yeah. So there is. Um, Uh, They also have medical grade time that they use to in first aid kits. So at one point, one of the boys breaks um, one of the kids she makes friends with actually breaks an uh, an arm. Mm. And that obviously you need time to fix a broken arm. Mm. And uh, fortunately, they do have some they are able to spray six months worth of time on that injury to heal it. But he's a little bit annoyed at the same time because he's like, now I have one arm that's six months older than the other one. Mm. Uh, So, yeah, there are applications of commercial-grade time.
0: Good, 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 good. When you mentioned the barbecue analogy, I just assumed you meant they give it to Dad and hope he doesn't end up in hospital. (laughs) Um, So, like, we're, we're here and Trilby is... The timekeeper, and through no fault of her own, and at this most inconvenient time, Trilby, she also comes up against the most dangerous person she's ever met, Mr. Mm -hmm. Colin, and his hench people, Carol and Brian. And she realises that this is serious because they're clearly very important adults. They have lanyards and everything. And the book sets up this tension, not like not exactly between adults and children per se, but with the sort of adult who I guess puffs themselves up with kind of borrowed or empty authority. What were you looking at here? Like, what did what did you want to explore in that um, that relationship?
1: Yeah, uh, look, a little sort of secret, I guess, about this book is that um, I wrote it at at a business school. I wrote it while um, while researching organisations and authenticity in organisations at the UTS Business School. Of course
0: you did. It's practically there on the cover. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it made for a very interesting place to write a kid's book. And I used all of that stuff about organisations to really create this bizarre organization and this is the um the office of the ministry of the board of the department of the appropriate division for the commission of the corporation of the agency of the association for managers administering time and this organization they were the people
0: that did that rebrand of the bomb i think (laughs) that's
1: it and and they kind of and mr colin and these guys they they love bureaucracy that's their job and they administer everything that's ever happened in time so you know every pyramid that ever went up had to be stamped and and processed every every natural disaster it's come across their desk so they love paperwork they love bureaucracy and they love organization and so underneath this is this uh in sort of in in sort of um, a counterpoint to that is Trilby and this group of children who are are not and they're not living in that organised world, and mm. so there are these ideas about about what it is to live in an organised world and what it means when you sort of absorb people who are organic, different, and and how mm. you know there is that tension between our organised world and our our. Um, our authentic selves. So there's kind of this stuff bubbling under the surface because uh, they are, they are coming head to head. Uh, that organization is very much trying to get rid of Trilby. So she's in trouble. It's,
0: um, it's a really, I, I, I found it really fascinating and a really interesting tension that you create. And I'm just, I'm so fascinated by Mr. Colin. Like he's a, he's a brilliant character and really quite, I mean, I I think it's Trilby describes him, or is it Ben? We haven't mentioned Ben yet either, um, who describes him as the most dangerous person that Trilby's ever met. But I wondered, did you need to create this character as, I guess, essentially quite bad? Or once you'd made him officious, did the rest just kind of flow? I'm really sorry to all the, you know, like, Office worky type people who live in that world really who are listening to this right now.
1: <laughs> well, I think we can all relate to it, you know, mm. like the lanyards and the 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 rhetoric and the the signs in the kitchen, the communal kitchen. I mean, there's things that we all know. Mm. Everyone's had this this experience, and um, so all of that's kind of funneled into this Mr. Colin world. But Mr. Colin for me is. Um, I love writing baddies and I love reading them. I mean, Roald Dahl, you know, is one of my favourite authors for the baddies. I mean, uh, just mm-hmm. the Twits, the Witches. I, I love how reprehensible, disgusting, grotty and gross those, those baddies are. And uh, it was a really great opportunity for me to create a terrible, terrible individual. And what I think is really nice about Mr. Colin is that he is awful, but he's very funny and... And he has the kind, this kind of panache about him. Mm. You know, he's he's so he's so sarcastic and approachable at the same time, and and I think that makes him sort of devilish.
0: I mean, the only other question to ask then um, about this particular thread on the book is, d- you got you got the PhD?
1: Yeah, I did. Terrific. I actually graduated yesterday.
0: Oh, congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. Amazing in business like isn't that
1: weird yeah I have a a PhD now in business I've done the weirdest PhD Uh, they certainly had never had anyone write a children's book uh, in the business school but it's a yeah it's a it's a a PhD that is essentially about um, uh, authenticity in organizations and how organizations kind of ask us to perform ourselves by doing this be yourself at work business. So it, it was really, a, I researched what what that means and what that kind of does to us when we sort of start feeling like we have to bring ourselves to work. And is that even possible to do? So a lot of this kind of stuff, although it's not, uh, you know, obviously in this book, um, uh, is kind of uh, informed the uh, the themes of it. But I, I, I didn't set out to do it. I, you know, I've written loads of kids' books, but it was definitely a separate world to doing uh, academic research. And then I thought, why don't why don't I see if I can put those two very opposite things together? And, uh, yeah, that's, that's what's happened here.
0: So you just got sick of thousands of people enjoying your book. So you're just like, I'm going to write something that two people are going to read and they're going to question whether they enjoyed it by the end.
1: Well, this is a funny thing. Academic <laughs> writing, no one, no one reads that. You know, no one reads it at all. And children's so, books, you know, hundreds of thousands of kids read those. And uh, I just, um, I love the fact that you know, thousands of kids are reading this book, and two people will read the exegesis as it should be.
0: And. <laughs> Now, I said I was. I was, was going to put a, like a, a bookmark in this point in the conversation. A full stop. But this is becoming my most the most fascinating part. But so the book was actually a part of the PhD. It wasn't just a thing that you were doing at the same time. Because no,
1: it's part. It was part of the PhD. <sighs> yeah. And I have to tell you, when I presented that at the business school, there were people, very senior people, some very senior people who were very supportive. But there were a couple of characters who were like, "This can't happen." I mean, we can't have people writing a children's book in the business school. This is outrageous, you know. What will happen next? Will someone hand in a piano concerto? Like, what's going on? It's like, this is happening.
0: Had they only seen the book? Like, had they read the book be- before they said that? Because, like,
1: if no. they can... No, they hadn't read oh, it. It okay. was just the idea of that, the idea if- that a children's book was being created. But then at the same time, mm-hmm. there were also some, you know... Um, uh, some you know really great supporters who could see that actually this is a really interesting way of exploring these ideas mm. and um and it's a lot of fun you know there's a lot of fun to be had here so uh you know but there was there was a bit of a there was a bit of a battle.
0: just the idea that someone could could read the book and then unironically be like, well, we cannot have this happen in this organisation. Like, no,
1: no one read the book. And channeling said
0: in Mr. Colin. It,
1: it was pretty great actually having people like the Dean of the UTS uh, Business School read this book mm. and go, wow, I haven't read a kid's book in a really long time. And they just loved it. It was, I think, pretty exciting when they saw the result.
0: All right. Well, the estate of J.R.R. Tolkien is going to be like knocking on the door for the second reference in this interview. But, I mean, this is this is so brilliant. Like, you know, famously the Lord of the Rings emerged from his work creating the, the Elvish language and your book has emerged from your business PhD. This is incredible. Um, and, and now we, of course, need at minimum a trilogy and possibly some prequels. Um, <laughs> there is going to be a sequel, right? There is. I've just oh, written it. Yes, oh, amazing! Yes, yes, terrific! Yes. Terrific. I mean,
1: terrific! There is a sequel. It come out mid next year.
0: That is usually the last question that I ask. But no, I just I thought while well, we're on the topic, um, let's get back to let's get back to the book. Yeah. Ultimately, like ultimately, I felt the heart of the dangerous business of being Trilby Moffat is is time. It's about time well spent versus time that's just kind of filled up with things so that it passes. And I kind of remember being Trilby's age and having this very skewed idea of time. You know, like it either. It either passed too slowly, and, uh, you know. Usually, mm. the wedding of someone that you've never met, but you're assured is family, um, or uh, you know, it would um, it would just zoom by when you were doing something that was your entire world for the moment that it was happen happening. Mm. I feel like for for all of us though, we learned a lot about how time passes over the last few years. Has your, like, is that reflected in the book? Has your conception of time changed much over time?
1: Yeah, I had to do a lot of research about time and how we experience it as well. Yeah. And uh, I think we definitely can experience time very differently at work. I mean, I know I've had days in in offices that seem to go on forever. Um, but, you know, I I was really interested. I think kids have a certain, at a certain point, start to wonder about time and, um I saw some kids doing a school project on circadian rhythms and they just when they start to think about this stuff I find children get very interested and in they kind of deep dive and uh, I started looking at that this uh this French researcher in the 60s I think who who went into the ground and kind of hid in a cave for a really long time until his to, to muddle his circadian rhythm to see if if we have this concept of time even when there's no time and and it turned out that we do even if you hide in a dark cave and you have no idea of sun and light and and i think that's fascinating because it really tells us how connected we are to the world you know it's so deeply built into us uh you know the 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 seasons the the weather the light these are it's just who we are so i find that the idea of time quite fascinating, you know, and it's really fascinating for these children because, you know, they have been on the island since whenever they got there. So some of these kids are, you know, ancient children. And if you're 12 for a, a really long period, you know, imagine the kind of things that you you learn and what you would know. And what I'm noticing when I talk to kids at schools is they, they love this idea that, A 12 year old would probably speak hundreds of languages and be able to build a timber boat by hand or have all these amazing skills because they have been alive so long and they've been 12 years old so long. Um, And that's a fascinating that's a fascinating thing to play with.
0: So many questions. Do they maintain their neuroplasticity? Because, you know, famously that is one of the things that opens up the child's mind to learning that, you know, us us old sort of firmly fixed grey matted adults, you know, we, we lose a little bit. Um Oh, I love it! So many questions. I'm so glad there's a sequel that's going to be coming along as well. This Excellent. is um, this book. This book is getting so much buzz at the moment, and I know that sort of coming into summer, regardless of whether the sun comes out, we should all spend our entire summer reading. Um, what's it like to be at the middle of of all this buzz around around Trilby, sort of coming what? into the world?
1: Look, it's, it's so, it's really exciting. And, uh, you know, the book took a long time to write and I really set out right from the beginning. Cause you know, I've written 20 kids books before that and I really took what I'd learned uh, in writing that into my first solo book. And, and the main thing that I wanted to do with this was make it funny, make it fast. So kids will like, uh, they want to f- read the next chapter and it feels mm. like a rollicking ride. Um, and, Also, I really wanted, I was really acutely aware that, you know, that yes, there are readers out there that are advanced readers and they'll, you know, read everything. But for the reluctant reader, you know, humour is super important because a kid that reads Diary of a Wimpy Kid on repeat thousands of times will read something else if it's not confusing and if it's funny. Mm -hmm. This is, that's just what I've seen again and again. And so, this is a book that I've been really excited to see. Those kids that are reluctant go, yeah, I'll give that a go. Actually, I'm going to break my my routine with reading Dog Man over and over and over again, and and give this one a go. And uh, that's really exciting seeing kids go into this world, and also because it was written during COVID. Mm. Um, I just, it's a book that's full of fun and fantasy and adventure and escapism. And yes, there's interesting little thought um, things to, you know, mull over. But I think that really the kids needed after that, and I know I needed, is this sense of wonder (coughs) and excitement and, you know, um, maybe imagination. And so that's what this book um, is kind of right from the beginning set out to be.
0: It is absolutely full of adventure, excitement and wonder. We are talking about the dangerous business of being Trilby Moffat. Kate Temple is joining me. Kate, it's been wonderful to catch up again and wonderful to hear both the incredible origins of this story. And um, again, congratulations on the PhD that created it.
1: Thank you very much.
0: That's it for this great conversation with Kate Temple. Kate's new novel is called The Dangerous Business of Being Trilby Moffat. It's out from Hachette. You may have heard Kate mention this is the beginning of a series. Jump in on the ground floor, get in, whatever age reader you are. I absolutely adored it. Great conversations from Final Draft are recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. We would love if you stay in touch with us. You'll find Final Draft on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. You can reach out to us. You can also, you can give us an email. Just email finaldraft at 2SER.com. Subscribe in your podcast app. It means you will get a new conversation with an Australian author every single week, along with bonus episodes. My name is Andrew Popel. I'm going to be back joining you with more from Final Draft, from more from incredible Australian authors next week. Till then, happy reading. Bye now.